Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is E3. These are Reese's, and they're delicious. So, but we'll get to those in a moment. So, we've been going on this uh, series, uh, Signs, where we've been looking at different signs of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And these aren't things uh, necessarily that you have to have in your lives. But when you see these things in people's lives, maybe it's an indication that they have grabbed hold onto one of the principles of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Some of those things that we have talked about, we talked about last week as the gift um, and just this idea of being generous. Uh, we also talked about the idea of folding chairs and people who have folding chairs in their home just uh, being prepared and, and ready to uh, invite people and have unexpected guests into their home and this idea of hospitality. We also talked about checkbooks and, and passports and had some good conversation after our passport talk of just being ready to go if God has called you. And uh, one of those signs is having a passport and people saying, uh, you know, hey, guess what, Mark? I got my passport after that talk and, and things like that. I'm ready to go. So just these kind of these different ideas. Today, we're going to be talking about this idea of invitation. Now, all of us have received at least one invitation in our lives, hopefully more. If you haven't received an invitation uh, ever you should probably get some counseling and uh, work on some issues, and then you'll get an invitation. But I'm pretty sure that everybody's received invitations, and, and invitations are, are an interesting thing. If you, uh, they, they do a lot. An invitation is not just a card or, or a piece of paper that they, they communicate something. They, they tell you kind of the the raw data, right, dates and time and place, and if you should RSVP or not, you always should, uh, or the occasion or different things like that. But it also gives you a clue of what to expect, what to wear, what kind of event is it going to be. And uh, so you understand, you know, what is going to be expected. Also, it, the invitation is not, is not about the invitation, Right? It's about the event. It's about the relationship. It's about the person who's throwing the party and that in their vision for the ideal party that, that, or event, that they envisioned you being part of that. And it's a really cool and special thing. And you can have all sorts of different invitations. Um, I remember uh, a public invitation went out many years ago when The Matrix uh, was really hip movie and everything. And, and there was an uh, invitation that went out, and, and they were going to have a Matrix-themed uh, New Year's Eve party. And uh, in this kind of this, this broad invitation, they're all like, yeah, no one who... Uh, Anyone who's not wearing leather will not be uh, uh, let in. So all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I got a pretty good idea of what this party is going to be like, and, and for my wife and I chose not to go to such, such a party. Uh, another kind of invitation that, that I sent out actually uh, many years ago, I, I love peanut butter. 
I don't know if you know that about me, but I am all about some peanut butter. And uh, George Washington Carver is the inventor of, 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 of peanut butter. So I, I sent out an invitation to my friends, the Thompsons. I don't remember if anybody else was invited uh, to that, but you know, they kind of like odd things like we do. And, and I said, you know, we're going to celebrate George Washington Carver's birthday because he's the inventor of peanut butter, and we are going to have a peanut butter-themed dinner, and everything is going to be uh, based in peanut butter. And they came, and they knew what to expect. And this is the idea behind uh, a, an invitation, that it gives us a clue but, uh, of what to expect. It also, when you receive one, it tells you that you're valued and that, that you are welcome. And it also gives you a clue of what type of party is it going to be, what, what is, the, what is the, the proper etiquette. And that's what we're going to be really talking about today, because when it comes to invitation, which is such a powerful biblical principle that perhaps maybe along the way we have lost the, the potency and the power and understanding of what we are truly inviting people into. And to start off, I, I, I want to bring an illustration I actually saw a long time ago, but I wanted to bring it um, to you. I'm going to need some uh, help here, but imagine this rope as eternity, and will you start passing this around, and I'm going to just feed it, just passing it to your neighbor. This is eternity. Now, let's quickly go so this doesn't take an eternity. Here we go. All right, so... Do, 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 keep on going, keep on going. Come on, everybody's getting, going to have to move a little bit. All right, we're almost there. All right, good job. Okay, stop. This green bit is our earthly life. Okay. And this is really where this idea of, of invitation and what we as, as followers of Christ that we're, we're called to and, and to be part of invitation into eternity. That, that if we don't invite people into a relationship with ourselves and a right relationship with God, and if that's not important to us, that, um, that really, in, in, in a lot of ways, that we're missing the point of our earthly life. That, that for, for many people, when you think about eternity, it's this abstract concept. And we, and, and, but when you think about it, and if you just thought if this rope went on forever and ever and ever, Hence, eternity, right? And if we are people who concentrate so much on just this little bit for our own kind of self-gratification, our own self-awareness, our own happiness, and realize, and I've heard it said, and, and, and I, I think it's, it's pretty much true, that the one thing that we're not going to be able to do in heaven, 
that we can do here is invite our loved ones to join us. We're going to worship. We're going to learn. We're, we're going to serve one another. We're going to serve God. All these things that we can, we can do. But the one thing that we won't be able to do is to invite our loved ones to join us. And I think that that's one of the key principles of, of invitation because I think one of the, the eroding of the gospel that has happened over, over the years is our concept has been, you know what, there's my life, I, I get saved, and then I go into eternity. And I think that that, that misses the mark on, on really the true magnitude and maybe why we have kind of minimized this idea of the importance of invitation in a follower of Christ's life. So, Karen, can you help me? Can you come on up here? Here we go. Let's say that this is Karen's life. Keep it going. It's eternity. And when we look at an individualistic uh, message of salvation, just a me and Jesus kind of idea of, of salvation, and that, that there's really, there's no importance of, of invitation in that. But as we saw in the video, that one of the magnitudes and one of the biggest things about legacy is this idea that when we are followers of Christ, that we are much bigger than just we are part of something much bigger than just our lives. Don't let them take your life. <laughs> See what I did there? Very clever. And one of the cool things is that, as we saw in the video, that we have this legacy that, that one invitation led to another invitation to another uh, that, that spread throughout a whole family. And one thing that invitation does is... It binds us with the people that we love. To say, Karen, we have an eternity ahead of us, but I want to, I want to tell you about the creator of the universe. I want to tell you about his love for you and, and that we have a chance that we can go together uh, as Christians taking on Christ's name into eternity to experience his, his, his love, and not only His love, but our love for one another, and not in an earthly sense, but in a way that, that our brokenness will be uh, aside, and we, for eternity, will be able to, to know the true, each other in, a, in, in the true, perfect sense, the way that our Creator sees us. Would, would you like to accept that invitation? And what happens is, thank you, that in a, in a very real sense, when you invite somebody in, that you're, you're, you're expressing an invitation into them, not just between them and Jesus, but also with all the, the saints and the sinners who, who have repented before them. And that you're inviting them into something that is much larger, much greater. 
and, and an invitation into love and redemption for eternity. There's several, um, and you can just hold the rope for the rest of the time, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Hold eternity in your hands, right? So, this theme of invitation is so strong through, through the New Testament and, and really through the, all of Scripture uh, because it, it strikes at the very core of our humanity of being uh, desired and being welcome. And, and Jesus was that invitation to God, that Jesus came and, and that was the, the invite. And there's a couple of scripture that I want to touch um, with you today. First one's found in Matthew chapter 9, and it's verses 9 through 13. And it starts out, it says, Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. And Jesus went up to him and he said, follow me and be my disciple. Now, this is a profound statement that Jesus just made here. And please don't freak out about me covering up his head. So, we're over that, right? We all know that this will fall down unless I put it up there. But this idea of Jesus saying, follow me, the Cairo being the symbol, the Greek symbol for Jesus, follow Jesus and be my disciple, be, be my student. Learn my commands, learn, learn the way to, to live. And this, this important moment in our understanding that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's calling people to follow him and be his disciple. At the end of his ministry in Matthew 28, he says, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. And I want you to go and make disciples of me. That, that Jesus here, in essence, as the invitation, is his life telling us what to expect for eternity of who God is. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. To say, you know what, come and follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and he followed him. And then he did something really interesting and really, really cool. See, Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were, were viewed very negatively, much like today, but even worse back then. And he invited, Matthew later invited Jesus. He returned an invitation to Jesus. Jesus invited him to be his disciple and follow him. And then he says, Jesus, I want to invite you to a party. And so Jesus went to his home as, as, as a dinner guest. And, and when he got there, there were a whole bunch of other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, right? Sounds like quite the party. And Jesus is there. And then what happens? The religious people get upset. And they, they say, why does your teacher, he's talking to the disciples, they don't talk to Jesus, they talk to the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And then 
he goes on into uh, verse uh, 13, and he says this very, very important thing. He says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I haven't come. The invitation is not for those who think that they're good enough, that they think they're righteous, that they they think that they have it all together. I am calling people who, who know they are sick, people who know they need to repent, they know that they need forgiveness, that this invitation is for restoration, for unity, for forgiveness. Have you ever tried to forgive somebody who doesn't think they need forgiveness? It doesn't mean anything. I had somebody forgive me a few years ago for something that I had no idea what they were talking about. That's how in tuned and sensitive I am, right? <laughs> Whatever. But, and they're like, they made a big thing like, Mark, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for that. What do you say to that? I said, well, thank you. He was so disappointed. Like, because I, 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 like I tried, tried to, to be appreciative of, of the forgiveness. And in, in, in one level, I am. And, and it grieves me that I hurt this person somehow along the way. And I'm glad that forgiveness was, was offered. But I almost left that, that encounter thinking, you know what? This moment that was meant to be heal, healing and, and, and restore uh, a brokenness in this relationship, that perhaps it's even worse now because I don't even know what I've done or what I did. Because... In that relationship, I didn't think that forgiveness needed to be offered, that I thought I was good enough. And this is what Jesus is talking about, is this idea that, you know what? Those of us who, are, who follow him, that we know that we need him. We know that there's something broken. We know that we do not have it in our ability to to make it right on our own. And we need the supernatural power of a Savior to intervene into our lives, into our eternity, and to invite us into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people because without that, we are doomed. For many years, I've been a pastor for 15 years-ish, uh, now and for so many years, I would I would make the statement that people want a savior, but they don't want a lord. That was my my experience throughout so much of my my uh, life, just being a pastor. That that people would be like, I want the salvation, but I don't want the leadership. I want I want forgiveness, but I I just want to continue on in life in my own way. 
And it's so weird in culture today that it's almost flipped on its head. That, that people seem to receive the invitation, say, you know what, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't think I need any healing. That I'm pretty much a good person and then things are good and maybe I need to tweak this or that and everything, but the whole repentance thing, it's not really needed. I don't see it in my life. And, and it, it's such a bizarre place to talk about Christianity in a sense in, in a sense or an arena where there, there isn't a view that there's any need for grace. Because without the need for grace, all of Christianity, the reason for that Christ came, completely collapses. Yeah, we can do good things, but that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to do God-centered things. Things that illuminate and bring glory to God. I think about it this way. I, I don't, you know I like, I like peanut butter because I told you. Unless you were distracted with the rope thing. Just to let you know, I love peanut butter. But what I really love is the combination of peanut butter and chocolate. This is proof that there is a loving God, this combination right here. It is absolutely amazing. In fact, I, just because I'm 45 and I, I just can't eat Reese's peanut butter cups all day long anymore, that, that these are one of my biggest treats on, on big training days or at races and things like that. And I was thinking about this in the sense that God is a lot like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Okay? Stick with me here. Imagine, if you will, you were with me at the end of a race, and I was so excited to eat my Reese's peanut butter cup. And, and you come up to me and go, oh, I love Reese's peanut butter cups. And I would think to myself, good, you should have brought one. <laughs> then you could enjoy it, but you could sit there and watch me eat my chocolatey peanut butter goodness, right? And I can just tell you right now, this is, this is me as, as Mark. If you ask me for a peanut butter cup at the end of I'm not going to give it to you. All right, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and tell you, like, I, I don't bring a lot of them. I'm just, I'm going to eat it myself. This is my sin nature just coming out. I'm just telling you. But let's just say for the sake of this illustration, I'm not lying to you. I would not give it to you. But just for the sake of this illustration that I did, I said, oh, all right. Well, there's two. So surely I can give you one and I can have one and we can both be happy. Like, I'm, I'm, like I know this is completely absurd, right? But, but just say that I, I went there and I said, okay, here you go. I, I know you love peanut butter and, and chocolate. And we sit there and we, we share this, this special moment with each other where I take my... 
So I'm sitting there and I'm eating my reason. And then I open up my eyes, come back to reality, and I see you nibbling the chocolate. What, what are you doing? Why are you nibbling the chocolate? And, and you look at me and go, well, I don't like peanut butter. I'm like, chicka, what? <laughs> like, if you don't like peanut butter, you don't like Reese's peanut butter cup and you've just taken mine. And then pastor goes to jail because he does terrible things, right? And this, unfortunately, I think is the state of Christianity in a, in, in a, in a large sense. When you think about God and the, and the chocolate part being the love of God. Oh, I love the chocolate. But you think about the peanut being the, the justice of the God, the, the, the need for grace. And so many times we're like, oh, we want the, we want the, the love of God, but, but, but we'll just nibble around on that. And, and, and it's enjoyable, and it's good, and the love of God is wonderful. But a Reese's peanut butter cup without the peanut butter is just a round chocolate bar, which is good, but it's not what it is. It is not a Reese's peanut butter And the reality is that the love of God has a perfect balance with the justice of God. And when we invite people into a relationship with God, that there is this perfect balance of love and grace. But that love and grace exist because the nature of God is that He is just. Jesus was having a discussion about eternity and what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like in Luke chapter 14. And one of the religious peoples hearing, hearing about humility and how wonderful it is and everything, and, and he, says, he says this uh, at the end, he says, the religious ruler, he says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. All right? What, what a blessing. How cool is that going to be to be able to attend this banquet? And, and Jesus responds with this story. He says, a man prepares a great feast and he sends out many invitations. Now, there's a great feast that's going to go on and he's sending out many invitations. This gives us a clue. This is not a candlelight dinner between two people. This is a blowout banquet that many invitations are going out to, that, that there's going to be a big spread. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell everybody, hey, the banquet is ready. Come and enjoy with me. Come be my guests. And then they started making excuses. These are people who already accepted the invitation that the, that the host went out and he prepared and he paid the price and all of these things. And they're like, eh, you know what? One guy says, I, I just bought five oxen. I'm going to try them out. Another guy said, I just got married and, and, and I can't go. 
And all of these excuses come again and again and again. So the servants come back to the master, to, to the, the host, and they say, look, nobody wants to go. And the master is furious. And he says, you know what? Go out and just invite people in the streets and the alleys and the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servants had done that, they reported and said, there's still more room. And the master said, go out in the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will ever get the smallest taste of my banquet. Tough, tough things. You know, I hear so often people go like, well, is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way you know, to what? Is Jesus the only way to Jesus? Yes. Is Jesus the only way to God? Well, Jesus is God. So yes, God is the only way to God. Well, isn't that narrow-minded? Well, I don't know. Am I the only way to me? Can you be in a relationship with me without me? No, it makes no sense that that just like the Reese's peanut butter cup is a thing, it is something, it has characteristics and quality. It's not just some whatever I want it to be, it is. No, it's two things. It's two ingredients, chocolate and peanut butter. Perfect combination. God is not just some floating kind of cosmic whatever that you choose God to be. God has characteristics. God is love, but he is also justice. That there is no reason for Jesus to have come if there is no need for justice to be served. That is the whole concept behind Christianity, that Jesus died so we may have life. And when we come and say, well, you know what? I like the chocolate or I like the peanut butter, but I don't like both that we are missing what God truly is and what the banquet truly represents. In Acts, Peter is expounding on, on these ideas, this idea that, that we are in need of a Savior, but we are also in need of a Lord. And he talks about, about how throughout all of the ages of the, the story of Israel and through the life of Christ that it's all been leading up to this invitation 
to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And this little green part of your rope right now is just a small portion. And that we need to be about weaving our lives with other people and inviting them to weave their life in a relationship with God. And after hearing all of this truth and all of this love and all, all of this, that the people exclaim, well, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to repent. Repent from what? Repent from everything. Every time that you have elevated yourself over the perfect vision that God has, the ideal state that God has of a perfect relationship, an unbuffered relationship with God, and a perfect relationship with people, and a perfect relationship with His creation. Every time we have violated that, and any actions or behaviors that we have that, that continue that pattern, that we say, you know what, I have, a re- I have spent a whole life trying to make it right, and I can't, and I realize that. And I repent from my rebellious ways. And I accept your payment for my sins. And I will, as a result, be baptized as one of the greatest signs in a follower of Christ's life. And then I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, this verse has wrapped so many people around the axle. I can't believe how many people are like, well, so as soon as the statement in in 21st century Christianity, that people are like, well, can I have the Holy Spirit without being baptized? Can Can I be baptized without repenting? Can I repent uh, uh, not be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I, can I, can I, all these different conversations, you know, and, and, and you kind of go back and you're like, what are you talking about? Do you think that one of them, when they heard this, they're like, well, okay, say repent, be, be baptized, and, and then I'm going to receive the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to indwell in me. So, do I need to do all of it? Now, think about this relationally. Here's the invitation. Invitation of Jesus saying, I willingly died for my sins. Why? So you can have the invitation to spend eternity with me and all that I died for and accepted this and the people that you love. And that you will experience the ideal state as seen in Genesis 1 and 2 again. That there will be an unbuffered 
experience with the creator of the universe, that you will be able to experience your loved ones with their brokenness um, outside and see them as I truly envisioned and created them to be, and you will be able to experience the splendor of my creation. You're like, that sounds pretty awesome. So do you have to be there? Or do I have to actually acknowledge that there's brokenness? Or do I, you know, all of these kind of different things. And I think that we over-intellectualize this. And I know that like for a while, a lot of people are like, oh, you never want to have somebody have an emotional response to an invitation of salvation and lordship. Why not? Why is having emotional response of, of being forgiven and being accepted, why is that such a bad thing? I mean, think about it. When I asked Shannon to marry me, I'm going, you know, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you into to a future with me, but I don't want an emotional response. So stop crying and everything. I have, have put together an amazing flow chart of the pros and cons of a relationship together. So we're going to analytically go through these things, and we are going to make the best decision possible void of any emotion. Would that have been good? No, that's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. No one, I shouldn't say no one, very few people would accept an invitation of marriage like that because it makes sense. No. It is about possibilities. It's about the unknown. It's, a, it's about being able to bind together and, and move into the future as one, as committed to one another saying, no matter what life throws at us, no matter what circumstance, that we are going to travel into the future together. What if she looked at me and I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to ask you and you're going to have to say yes and then we're going to have to get married and then we're going to experience this unity together. And she looks at me and says, well, can I not say yes, but we'll do the marriage and we'll do the future thing. I'm like, no, you have to say yes. It's just part of it. Or can I say yes, and, but I'm kind of embarrassed of you. So I don't want to have anybody know we're married, and we'll just kind of do this thing off to the side. So you're embarrassed of me. Can you see where this all breaks down? The invitation is relational. The invitation is for forgiveness. And you realizing that you do need forgiveness. The invitation is for wholeness. The invitation is to repent and to be baptized. 
in baptism in the sense of the wedding and to be filled with the Holy Spirit to, to experience the bonding of the relationship of having the foretaste of a right relationship with God, the opportunity to have a right relationship with people, and to view create God's creation as a gift of what you need to steward. The invitation... is to a certain thing. And we don't get to just make it up as we go along. And when we try to maximize or, or, or illustrate one side and minimize the other, we dishonor the host. And when it comes to invitation... I really want you guys to think about this in an eternal sense. That we have the opportunity to invite people into an amazing relationship. And it doesn't mean that our lives are going to be perfect, quite the contrary. There will be hard times. There will be hard circumstances. There will be times where we will wonder if God is even there. But the promise is that we are forgiven, that even in our circumstances, even in the desert, that God is a God of the wilderness and He is there. And after we have suffered for a little while, that we will be restored and be able to experience the life and the vision that God has for us and has had for us for eternity. And that is it to be in perfect fellowship with him and the rest of his creation. Will you guys pray with me?